Hello and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David continues our series on purpose with a look at suffering. Can there be a purpose to our pain? Let's listen. The best criticism of the bad is the practice of the better. Have you heard that saying before? I, I really like it. I mean, because when often when you see something that you don't like, our gut reaction is just to point to it and say what we don't like about it. I, I do this all the time when I'm disciplining my kids. I say, don't do that. That's the wrong choice. That's the wrong thing to do. Don't put toothpaste all over the sink. That's wrong. I, see what, I say what not to do. Or... Often, when we see something wrong in the world, we critique it, we lament it, we point out the negative. But what if, instead of always dwelling on the bad, we practice what is good? You know, practicing the good means being realistic about what is bad or negative. It's recognizing that, but then taking the additional step of actually practicing something better. Uh, If you do this, this does two things. Uh, One, it doesn't leave you stuck in the negative, always pointing to what is wrong instead of what is right. And two, it allows you to then begin engaging in positive patterns of behavior. And when you actually start practicing the better, other people are going to notice the way that you're acting, your behavior as well, and hopefully replicate the better. So instead of saying, don't put toothpaste all over the sink, it's, look how much better it works when you put the toothpaste on the toothbrush. Here, let me demonstrate for you. Well, today, we are talking about the purpose of pain as we continue our purpose series. And I wonder how we can apply this attitude to the topic of pain. Well, right off the bat, I recognize that this title can be troublesome for some. Uh, We would think, okay, uh, yeah, we should make it the, the problem of pain. I can get behind that. But the purpose of pain, to imply that pain in any way can have a deeper purpose in our life, that can make us deeply uncomfortable. What I want us to do this morning, though, is to recognize the painful parts of our lives, the the negative, the bad, but then not simply stay there. Then I want us to take that next step and say, how can I understand this pain? How can I look for the deeper purpose or meaning to the pain that I'm currently going through? It's taking that next step. Remember, the best criticism of the bad is the practice of the better. Now, to understand the purpose of pain, we're going to have to take two weeks to do it. We cannot cover a topic as large as this just in one week. Uh, and so we'll, we'll take a couple of weeks to explore the purpose of pain, although we will cover a lot this morning. We're going to start with a fascinating story that's told in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 13. And, and what has happened is, is that there's a group of people, and they come to Jesus, and they tell Jesus about a tragic event that had just occurred. And, and they're, they're wondering, what does Jesus think about that? So we pick it up in Luke chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were some present 
at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Well, we need to know a bit of background on this uh, story here, if we're going to understand at all what is happening. So, we, we notice the Galileans, and, and Galileans were people who were from the region of Galilee. But there was a specific group of Galileans who wanted to overthrow the government in Rome. Yes, they did not want Herod, they did not want Caesar to be in charge, so these Galileans were doing everything they can to work kind of behind the scenes to disrupt the government, to, to work to sow chaos and confusion. Well, at one point, these Galileans were offering sacrifices. They were obviously Jewish people. They were offering, offering sacrifices as part of their religious practice, and Pilate chose to ambush them. So Pilate chose to send soldiers to slaughter them while they were in the practice of making a sacrifice. And as Luke tells it, their blood mixed with the blood of the sacrifices that they were in the process of making. Now, what I wonder is, is why is a group of people telling Jesus about this horribly tragic event that must have occurred fairly recently? Well, we get a clue as to the why uh, in seeing Jesus' response to the group telling him this story. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way. So the group talking to Jesus is somehow implying that the Galileans who were murdered by Pilate, well, they must have been murdered simply because they were really bad people, i.e. they were worse sinners. Now, that sort of logic probably leaves a, a bad taste in, in our mouths, uh, in our modern-day minds. I mean, it, it, it seems to us like a, a blaming the victim mentality, doesn't it? But I believe we still use a bit of this logic today, even on a subconscious level. I mean, think of the phrases that we use to describe someone that we think gets what they deserve. We say things like, well, they got what's coming to them. Or, what goes around comes around. Or, my personal favorite, they got their just desserts. All of these phrases imply that the suffering that a person is undergoing is a deserved suffering because of their actions. And the worst one's actions, well, the worst one's suffering must be. But here's what Jesus has to say about that type of thinking. Jesus says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. So what Jesus is saying is that this is incorrect thinking, that just because the Galileans suffered a brutal death doesn't mean that they were worse people than the rest of us. Instead, Jesus says, use this as an opportunity, an opportunity to repent, to get right with God, to turn back to God. When you live with the attitude of, well, they got what's coming to them, what happens is you've unintentionally placed yourself as judge over another person's suffering. Yes, you are saying that you can then decide whether a person's suffering is justified or not. 
But Jesus is saying, don't let yourself fall into the trap of that sort of thinking. You and I are not the judges. We do not get to decide what suffering is justified and what suffering is not. Jesus continues with another example of suffering. Jesus says, or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. So now Jesus tells another tragic story. It's a story of this tower in the nearby city of Siloam that collapsed unexpectedly. And when that tower collapsed unexpectedly, 18 people were killed. I mean, we hear that story and we can probably resonate with it because tragic events happen today as well. I mean, you can turn on the news and anywhere around the world, some sort of tragic event that's out of your control happens that causes suffering or pain or even death. It's, this is probably a good time to acknowledge that it's simply an uncomfortable feeling to live in a world where tragedy can strike really at any time, and you and I are not in control of it. You and I can't stop it. Well, the people of Jesus' day, what they're doing here is they're trying to wrench back some control by creating a system of belief that says, okay, well, if they died like that, it's because they deserved it. Yes, the people who died when the tower fell in Siloam, it must have been because they were more guilty than those who did not die. But that way of thinking, all it's doing is it's, it's trying to comprehend a dangerous world where random suffering can seemingly occur and, and place all of that simply in a box, a belief that makes sense to you. This way of trying to understand suffering, this way of trying to understand pain, it is ancient. It is as old as humanity is old. And to prove that to you, let me draw your attention to the oldest book in the Bible. It's not Genesis. The oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. And the book of Job, it's a story that asks this very same question, why do good people suffer? In this story, there's a man named Job, and he is purported to be one of the most righteous and most faithful people on the entire planet. But then Job experiences and undergoes a significant amount of pain and suffering. And in his own period of, of sadness and, and lament, one of his friends, Eliphaz, offers him some advice. Now, I'm going to argue that it's bad advice, but the advice that the friend offers him is the dominant way of understanding suffering in the day that Job was written. So let's hear some of this friend's advice to Job. The friend says to Job, if someone ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? But who can keep from speaking? I mean, think how you have instructed many, how you have strengthened feeble hands. Your words have supported those who stumbled. You have strengthened faltering knees. What he's saying is, Job, you are a good man. 
Job, you have helped countless people over your lifetime. But then he goes on. He says, but now, now trouble comes to you, and you are discouraged. It strikes you, and you are dismayed. Should not your piety be your confidence, and your blameless ways your hope? Consider now, who being innocent has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. Do you see the conclusion that Eliphaz is implying here? Eliphaz is saying that those who are truly good and those who are truly upright in God's eyes would never have to suffer needlessly. And since Job is currently suffering, well, maybe Job was not as good of a person as we all thought. Yes, the whole book of Job is a conversation between Job and these friends. And in this conversation, Job is defending himself. He's saying, no, I have lived a good and righteous life, and my suffering is not connected to my way of living. And in, throughout the entire book, the friends keep pushing back against that. And they say, no, if you're suffering, it must be because you have some secret sin. It must be because you in some way have earned the suffering that you are currently undergoing. At the end of the book, spoiler alert, God ends up justifying Job and rejecting that way of understanding suffering in the world. But what I find interesting is that thousands of years after the book of Job was written, people in Jesus' day are still using this sort of thinking and logic to say, okay, if people die, well, there's, there's got to be something they did that caused that. And thousands of years after Jesus' day, we still subconsciously secretly gloat when we think that someone got what was coming to them. But Jesus declares this sort of thinking, this sort of logic to be invalid. There must be another way. So what is the purpose of pain? Well, again, we can't cover everything today. But what I want to cover, based on what we just studied in the scriptures, is two don'ts and two do's when it comes to understanding pain and suffering in this world, okay? We're going to start with one of the don'ts. Don't judge other people's suffering. Now, that should be obvious based off of what we just studied, because both in Jesus' story and in Job's story, that was kind of the, the basic conclusion there, was that when, when we judge other people's suffering and other people's pain, it ends up affecting us. It ends up making our heart more callous. And, and Jesus is saying, please don't do that. Don't put yourself in the place of judge over other people. But do, here's your first do, do find God's presence in your pain. Did you notice how Jesus ended both of his examples Jesus ended both examples of pain by telling all the people who were present, repent, repent. And what he's saying there is turn back to God. Go to God with your pain. Find God's presence 
within your suffering. Because God is with you when you are in pain. But sometimes all we can see is the pain itself. And we become so focused on the thing that is causing us pain, or the relationship that's been damaged, or the person that is hurting us, then that becomes all we can see. And we forget that God is there too. That God is present within that pain and suffering. But Scripture tells us that God will never leave you nor forsake you, and that is true in your times of pain as well. I want you to remember, we worship a crucified God. No other religion on earth would dare to worship a God who has claimed to have died. I mean, gods are supposed to be powerful. They're supposed to be almighty. But a God that can bleed? A God that can die? Who has ever heard of such a thing? And yet, that's exactly what Jesus did. And so Jesus, the crucified God, can deeply understand any pain or any tragedy that you and I go through because Jesus has experienced it too. So when you're in pain, we can go to God, the crucified God, in the midst of our pain. So we, the first do's and don'ts are don't judge other people's suffering, but do find God within your own suffering. Here's your second set of do's and don'ts. First, don't be surprised by pain. Yes, in this life, we will all experience pain. This did not surprise Jesus, and this should not surprise us either. I mean, our bodies are incredible miracles, and they will still get sick. We are able to form deep relationships, and those relationships will still hurt us from time to time. When we convince ourselves that we can avoid most pain in this life, or when we set out that the goal of our life is just to live a comfortable life, well then when the pain comes, and it always does, it can come and almost knock the wind out of us. And then if we weren't expecting it, or if we were trying so hard to just avoid all pain, what ends up happening is we blame God for it. We say, God, why did you let me go through this? But God has never said that this will be a pain-free life. So don't be surprised by pain, but do, do understand that God can transform you through your pain. Yes, God is willing to use everything that we go through in life, the good and the painful, and use it for our good. This is not to say that God is the cause of your pain or the source of your pain. But it is to say that God is willing to use that pain, that painful experience that you are going through. I mean, remember what Paul says in the book of Romans, when Paul says that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That all things includes those painful things that we go through. God will use that as well to seek to transform you through that experience. And so, my recommendation 
is that when you go through a painful experience, ask God to use it to change you somehow. You know, you, you can say something like, God, I don't want to be going through this right now. I, I wouldn't choose it. But since I'm in it, won't you use it to, to change something in me that needs changing? You can say, God, build in me resilience. Or build in me greater empathy for those who have gone through something similar. Don't let me experience this pain in vain. Now, I do want you to remember that the crucified God did not stay dead. After death comes resurrection. And, and there's a great quote that speaks to the, the heart of how a Christian should approach pain. Uh, Jim Antle says this, Jim says, for me, faith and hope are rooted in the conviction that regardless of how bad things may be, a new story is waiting to take hold. Something we have not yet seen or felt or experienced. That's the understanding that when God is a part of your life, then there's always something new that's out there on the horizon. Yes, regardless of how bad the experience is that you may be currently going through, faith allows you to expect, not just hope, but expect that things will get better. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.